Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Post Podium, the podcast where former Jeopardy contestants are instead giving questions and asked to provide answers. I'm your host, Jarek Bruel, and in this episode, I'm joined by high school reunion tournament champion Justin Bolson. Justin is currently a freshman at Brown studying international relations and public affairs, as well as economics. Justin, how are you doing today? How has post tournament life been treating you? I'm doing fantastic, Jarek. Thank you for having me on today. Um... It's been awesome. I mean, uh, I guess in what since the the two weeks since the end of the tournament, it's been uh, it's been really fun. It's been it's been weird, definitely a lot different than it was the first time, but I've definitely been enjoying it. So before we get into the nitty gritty, I'd like for us to take a step back and have you quickly recap and tell us what it was like to appear on a well recognized game show while in high school. What were some of the best reactions you got for getting to the team tournament? And overall, what was it like being recognized as the quote-unquote Jeopardy kid? So high school was definitely a lot different than it was this time around. Um, the first time I was on, I was a freshman, and I didn't really tell many people before I went on that I was going. I told my teachers that I was going to be absent for a few days to go film, and that was pretty much it. Um, I didn't really tell. I, I told a few of my friends, but not many people at my school knew until I was on, but I was on in the summer. So I didn't really have a lot of people coming up to me and talking to me about it because I was home for most of the summer, um, freshman year in high school. But when I got back to school, it was it was uh, it was cool because more people knew me. They they would go up and talk to me and be like, "Hey, I saw you in Jeopardy over the summer." Like, like comments like that. So so you got like a leg up when you got to high school, basically. So it's like a bit, everyone's yeah. like trying to get to know each other, but you were like the guy to like look out for, kind of. Yeah, but I mean, we were all together in middle school. I knew mostly everybody in my high school. We had a class of about 450. So like most most people already knew me. So this was just like a like a cool thing. Like, oh, like our, our classmate went on Jeopardy. That's cool. Besides putting your money towards a college education, was there any extravagant purchase you made soon after your episodes aired? I'm sure if any teenager were to suddenly receive $10,000, they'd be more than eager to spend some of it. <laughs> my dad actually tried to persuade me to get a hot tub but <laughs> <laughs> um besides that not really i didn't really know what ten thousand dollars was when i was 14 so there, i didn't really buy anything so last question about this topic before we move on how did the two sets of season 35 teen tournament contestants sort of coalesce into a single group of 30 people you all seem so close and supportive of each other on the hsrt and online when the episodes aired so i was wondering who or what became the connective tissue that bonded the two groups together we i think very coincidentally just picked group me each each tournament did before we even started talking to each other so um i think i want to say one of us i forget who it was reached out to one of the 2018 teen tournament contestants and said hey like we'd we'd love to have a group with all of you guys if you're welcome and because we were both like the same age like the season 35 contestants were pulled from the same uh, or they were pulled from the same pool of applicants it was pretty easy to connect to the other kids because we'd all been through the same thing um but yeah we we all made this group meet together and from there we met up in person some of us went to the same colleges we we got to see each other i i saw i saw two or three people i think after um the high school tournament aired but we had a sense of community i think that came from being thrown together in the same circumstance so it was really easy for us to connect because it, it didn't feel like we were two separate tournaments it felt like we were one single tournament so next, I want to discuss your connection to Jeopardy and trivia as a whole over the last few years. 
a lot has happened in the Jeopardy canon since your first appearance, including James Holzhauer's original run, the death of Alex Trebek, the revolving door of guest hosts in the wake of his passing, and season 38's unprecedented number of super champions, including Matt Amodio, Amy Schneider, and Matteo Roach. Given these events, how closely have you been following them? And as a follow-up, how much time and attention have you been able to dedicate to trivia as a hobby? I know... In your interview for the Jeopardy website, you said that you, quote, largely slowed down on learning trivia and, quote, following the team tournament. But now you're part of Brown's Quiz Bowl team, right? Yes, that is correct. So, yeah, what I, what I wrote, I, I wrote in my essay for uh, the Jeopardy.com thing, I was like, I, I, I kind of did really slow down on trivia after high school because I felt like I wasn't going to get anything as, as grand as the opportunity to be on Jeopardy again. That obviously changed when I got the call the second time. I, yeah, I was I was thrown into a little bit of a shock, because I I'd known that if I had put my efforts into trivia as I had been before, I probably would have been in a much better shape. Part of my decision to join the Quiz Bowl team was to prepare for this tournament. I've been I've been reading a lot more books, but yeah, trivia. I like trivia. The whole reason I did Jeopardy in the first place was because I had a love for the for trivia, and. I think being on again has helped really reignite that for me. I had a, kind of a bitter ending the first time and this opportunity has given me, I, I think another, like a, like a reignition of my love for learning. That's great. That's fantastic. So four years after the team tournament, you get an email with the subject title confidential, which might've raised an eyebrow or two. What was your immediate reaction to that email from Sony saying they'd like to have you play Jeopardy again and I know you included it as part of your contestant interview but for those who didn't watch or might have forgotten could you describe where you were and what exactly you were doing when you received that email so I was at the gym I was hitting a leg day leg days are very hard for me (laughs) they tire me out a lot so I was already in in a state of like okay I'm finishing my leg day I need to go get food so I can actually be productive for the rest of the day I was tired and then I got that email that said confidential and my world flipped upside down and I felt nervous and shocked and excited all at the same time. I, I had to leave the gym. I was doing an exercise. I was on the leg extension machine at that moment and I had to leave because I just couldn't continue. <laughs> the, the emotion that you feel in that moment is um, overpowering, I would say. Whenever I just dropped everything I was doing, I walked out, I called my dad and I talked to him about it and tried to calm myself down. <laughs> Do you remember who first resurrected the team tournament group chat to tell everyone to check their inboxes? Oh, I don't. I, I think we all kind of went through it at the same time. And the collective response was WTF from about <laughs> 10 or 15 of us. <laughs> So was a second chance to be ever considered as a possibility in the back of your mind? And did any of those thoughts change after Michael Davies took over as the executive producer? Davies has been transforming Jeopardy really into a, a more, like there, I, I think there's been more creative tournaments. Um, like you see with Masters and Second Chance, um, things have been a little different with the formatting for tournaments. I did never, I never really considered it. I mean, it had always been that dream, like, you're laying on your pillow at night and you're thinking like, ah, I wonder what would happen if I could, like had the chance to do it over again. But you, you never really like consider that as a possibility. And even, even though I knew Davies was like trying, trying different stuff with tournaments, I, I'd never considered it. So completely foreign idea to me. 
So knowing who your competition would be and generally what they've been up to over the last four to five years, who was someone you didn't want to face right off the bat in the quarterfinals? And if there isn't anyone who comes to mind, who did you think could take the title this time around? I made a list of the people that I did not want to face uh, first in quarterfinal. It's in my notes, actually. I, it's um, First off was Caleb Richmond, because I know Caleb. I've, I'm on his Snapchat story, and I see all the stuff that he's doing. And for someone so learned and knowledgeable about pop culture, I mean, you saw him in his quarterfinal game. He oh, was yeah. a beast. And I I thought that was coming. So I was worried about him. I was also worried about, naturally, Avi Gupta um, being the winner of our tournament uh, the first time. I didn't want to face him. Um, I know how quick he is on the buzzer, and he de- he definitely has that ability to to get hot and totally go on a tear in a game. There was there's Jack Izzo, Jack Izzo as well was someone I did not want to face, and I really didn't want to face Tegan either because I know that Tegan is very knowledgeable in pop culture, and we unfortunately got matched against each other in this in the first round. But um, that was that was a little bit of a scary one for me. Um, Shri and T in my quarterfinal. Who do you think had the best glow up over the last four to five years? <laughs> Ooh, that's a tough one. I think, I think Autumn Autumn did. I think Autumn did. I think I think I might have had one as well, but I don't want to. I, I thought you had a good one too. You know, lose the braces, <laughs> fix the hair. I thought it was pretty good. I don't want to toot my own horn or anything. But, yeah, I think <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I, th- I think Autumn and Autumn Shrikar. There there were a lot of good glow ups. I, you see everyone and they look completely different. I, I watched a few TikToks of um, where they try to guess the names of the people on the tournament. <laughs> their their reactions to the gloves were like, oh my God, Like they look so different. If you're a longtime Jeopardy viewer, you'll know that between the teen and collegiate tournaments, the level of difficulty is toned down quite a bit compared to the syndicated show with the subject skewing more towards academia and pop culture. That being said, Justin, how did studying for the teen tournament compare to studying for the HSRT? Did you return to an old routine, prioritize studying certain subjects over others, and did you prepare in ways unrelated to acquiring more knowledge, such as gameplay or wagering strategy? So my preparation for the HSRT was completely different from my preparation for the teen tournament. Teen tournament preparation, um, I I was still in my high school quiz bowl team. We practiced two or three days a week. And I thought that was pretty much sufficient for me. I just wanted to um, keep in line with my knowledge of academia that I'd been accumulating over the years with middle school. So for the teen tournament, I was just like, all right, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing and hopefully that'll work for me. This time around, completely different. I bought a few books. I started doing Proto Bowl Jeopardy. I started looking through old J archive games and cataloging the clues that I missed it was a complete strategy shift for me and I think it paid off because with the short time that I had studied I think I gained a lot of useful information that I was able to to put into practice this time was there a clue in particular that you can credit to your studying this time around for the HSRT there were definitely a bunch of clues in the other games that I remember um Sappho, the the Rohan daily double ah. where he bet five dollars. <laughs> I was like, oh, I I remember studying about that. But uh, there were there were a few. The the funny thing is, you get up there in, in your game, and the clues kind of become blurs to you. So I don't I don't remember a specific clue, but there were definitely a few. Final Jeopardy wagering was on point, strangely enough, for nearly the entire tournament. 
was there a group study session or something or was it a coincidence that everyone just so happened to focus on that aspect of the game this time around i think i think for specifically the high school reunion group we've been in the jeopardy sphere for long enough to know just how important it is for wagering strategy i i personally was more into wagering strategy during the team tournament and i i just had to brush up on it a little bit to make sure like there nothing nothing had changed with people going for locks or like betting to cover second betting to cover third um i think because it was a second chance people were probably more apt to do their homework in that regard i i think that's all i had, would have to credit it to i think we were on point just because we knew how important this opportunity was. So we had to be. Going into the HSRT, did you set a goal or expectation for yourself? Were you in a more competitive mindset or was it more like the cherry on top of getting to reunite with your contestant cohort? Definitely the cherry on top. My dad told me, hey, at this point, you're on again. Everything is gravy. In the back of my mind, I was like, it would be nice to get to the semifinals again, win the first quarterfinal game. But besides that, I really had no expectations. The tournament format was completely different this time. You get 27 kids instead of 15. There's a lot lower of a probability to make it to the next round than there is if you have wild cards. So, and I'm sure you know this from uh, the college championship, but I was so much less stressed and I think less competitive definitely but not as not as cutthroat as I was the first time (laughs) (laughs) understandable but that's great to hear it would be remiss of me if we didn't talk about your quiz bowl experience and how your career in academic quiz influenced your performance on the show how much credit does quiz bowl deserve in preparing you for both the team tournament and the HSRT so my knowledge base for the team tournament was entirely based off of quiz bowl during middle school, I practiced five days a week in the morning. I had a very strict middle school quiz bowl coach. I love him. He basically gave me all the knowledge that I had for the team tournament. Um, so to that, I will give quiz bowl all of all of my all of the credit for what I did during the team tournament. This time around, I think Brown quiz bowl had a little bit less of an impact. We, we practice one day a week on Fridays. I love the guys. Definitely helped me sharpen up a little bit, but the drilling that I got from middle school for the team tournament was, it definitely, the, the, the Brown Quiz Bowl experience doesn't compare to how crazy my middle school experience was. What were some clue categories that you thought could run versus some categories you dreaded? I know you went four for five in the fight songs and liable in the Bible categories, but are pop songs and the Bible strong suits of yours? I would say so, yes. I was hoping for an elements category. That ended up happening a few games before mine. I love the elements. Definitely one of my strong suits. Something that I know a lot about. But, I mean, with Jeopardy, it's you only get 12 categories per game. So there's there's not a lot that you can do in, in, in hoping for a category. But, yeah, um, I was happy when I saw pop songs i think there was a there was a pop songs category in my first teen tournament game that i ran as well but i was i was happy to see that shakespeare i would have liked to see i would have liked to see a few more history categories as well i think those are my strong suits um but as i mentioned pop culture is not my strong suit and that's why i was a little afraid of Teague in the first game because i know that she knows everything about tv shows and movies um, that is definitely something that I will need to be brushing up on for TOC, especially because 
the scope of the pop culture is a lot broader. It goes back to like the 70s and 80s, oh, yeah. not just the <laughs> 2000s, 2010s, 2020s. You're going to have to dig deep in that one. <laughs> yeah. How are you in sports as a category? Um, Variable. It's I, I think I'm pretty middle of the road with it. I think I'm definitely better with basketball and football than I am baseball and hockey. That's just a result of the sports that I liked growing up, probably. I was more familiar with them in their history than um, some of the other sports. But we get a, we get a football category, and I don't, I don't think I did too well in it, actually, the first game, but I was, I was happy to see it. When it came to attire, Jeopardy had you dressed professionally rather than wearing college apparel, which I can't help but feel was influenced by Ryan subbing in for Rotimi. Regardless, did you want to wear your college's merch to switch things up, or did you like the normal dress code, which would subsequently get you a fashion critique from Lily, aka One Eclectic Mom on Twitter? One Eclectic Mom, I love her so much. <laughs> um, ooh, um, this time around, I thought we would get college sweatshirts. I thought that would be the required attire. And when it wasn't, I was a little surprised. I'll be honest, I thought I was going to have my brown merch, go all out with my sweatshirts and stuff. And instead, I got to bust out the sweater and the suit. And I, looking back on it, I think I'm grateful for that because I wanted to show off the closet a little bit, <laughs> bust the ties out. I, I think I was happy ultimately with the decision. For anyone who gets far enough in the contestant vetting process, Jeopardy will send you a ton of digital paperwork, which includes a form asking you, for some interesting stories about yourself to use in your contestant interview after the first commercial break. Justin, your stories were about the call, studying in the most isolated spot on campus, and going to school with a fake professor. Were there any fun stories you wanted to tell, but for one reason or another didn't make it to air? There were not. I really honestly didn't have that many interesting stories. That's fair. I had to dig deep in mine as well. <laughs> yeah, I had to dig super deep because I was like, oh man, like what's something interesting that would like make for a good like interview segment? And I couldn't really come up with anything. Um, if there would have been anything else, I would I think I would have been I think I think one of my interview questions from the first time I went on was about swim. And clearly I am not an Olympic swimmer as I had <laughs> hoped in my semifinal game. So I think talking about that would have been funny, but besides that, not really. So that's all the questions I have regarding the lead up to the tournament. Let's fast forward to the end of January when the HSRT taped and start with breaking down your quarterfinal match against Shreya and Tegan. According to Geometry, this was the second most contentious game of the tournament, with 81% of the clues being attempted by multiple people. And I'd argue this was the toughest game you played in, Justin, mostly because you never had the lead until you converted on the third daily double. And it wasn't until clue 21 of double Jeopardy where you were able to secure a lead going into final. Sharia came out of the Jeopardy round super hot with more than double Justin's score, but that gap managed to close in double Jeopardy when Tegan and Justin claimed the second and third daily doubles of the game. That third daily double, where the correct response was what is Halley's Comet, was pivotal in Justin's success since he was only two dollars off the lead when he found it and needed to put some distance between him and Shreya. In the end, while Justin wasn't able to secure a lock game, it did put Shreya in a position where she had to get final right to have a chance of winning. The final Jeopardy category for this game was famous names, the correct response being who is Andy Warhol, and it was a triple correct, meaning had Justin got final wrong, Shreya would have won the game. 
and who knows what could have happened after that. This would have been an even more intense game had Tekken managed to get her buzzer timing down, because although she made the most attempts on buzz at 44, she wasn't getting in as often as she would have liked. Justin, you probably played in a rehearsal game before this, but how did it feel getting to play again? Did you find it easy to get into a groove, so to speak? And was this game as tough as the stats make it out to be? This game, um, up until up until Double Jeopardy, was very tough for me. I didn't really find myself getting on the groove with the buzzer. I missed two clues early, and I, I didn't really think that I was as calm and collected as I should have been. The interview helped. It definitely completely changed my outlook. Um, I think going into the interview, I was at negative 200 or so. And from then, I got a little bit better on the buzzer. I got a little more calm and collected. And I think it helped me um, focus my efforts towards bringing it back in double jeopardy. As far as the, the double jeopardy round, the daily double was what completely changed the dynamic of the game. And... That is when it it was not as competitive as um, before Clue. I think I think twenty yeah twenty twenty one of the of the double jeopardy round. Before that, it could have been anybody's game, and then after that, I think I'd I'd really found my groove at that point, and I was doing a lot better than I was uh, earlier in the game. We all saw how you were really excited to get to mention rapper J.I.D. for 2000 in the fight songs category, and I didn't know this until a couple hours ago before we're recording this podcast, but. He apparently reached out and invited you to an upcoming concert of his. Is that true? Did you ever link up with the homie Justin, who very enthusiastically and proudly knew we'll, the answer? We're going to make sure he's at the show. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah shout out Justin, sure Justin, dude. Yeah, shout out Justin. Jidperty, sure. baby. It's true. I had Dreamville DM me on Instagram. We, we had some scheduling issues that um, the, the concert that they were inviting me to ultimately ended up falling on the, the last day of my finals for the tournament, which I couldn't miss. But yeah, I was super excited to mention him. And, and he did shout me out which i thought was really cool he he was in an interview saying um you don't you don't really think about being a clue on jeopardy um and then it happened for him and i'm I'm super happy for him i'm super happy that i got to answer that clue because i am a huge fan of the forever story um his most recent album yeah that was really cool the song mentioned in this clue was enemy a collaboration between jid and imagine dragons which was featured prominently in the animated netflix series arcane based on the video game league of legends which i absolutely love I should clarify, I love Arcane, not League. I've never touched League a day in my life. Have you seen it by any chance? I have not seen Arcane, but I've, I've read about it. I've heard of it. Um, I also will never touch League of Legends with a 10-foot pole, so <laughs> <laughs> not, not really something I'm super into. It's so good. You don't have to know a single thing about League. I didn't know a single thing about League, and it was such good storytelling, such good animation. I can't recommend it enough. Maybe that could be a thing for your uh, TOC prep. <laughs> yeah, I'll totally check it out. <laughs> maybe, maybe for enjoyment. Yeah, definitely. For those who don't know, the HSRT taped across three days. The quarterfinals were split 5-4, and the semifinals and finals taped together. Justin, you taped on the first day of the quarterfinals, so you were able to relax for a full day before taping the semis and finals. Did you watch the remaining quarterfinal matches, and were you and the HSRT crew able to hang out during this downtime? Yes, absolutely. So we were on the Wheel of Fortune stage um, to watch our our co-competitors do their quarterfinals uh, for, our, for, for us first day people. So we really had fun. It was like it was like going to the movies. <laughs> we sat in there with our snacks and our, our water bottles and we got to hang out and talk, which was good. I got to talk to some people that I haven't talked to in a long time. Uh, Shrikar stands out there, someone that I really enjoyed talking to on the second day that I didn't really get to talk to much uh, after the first tournament. 
and we all got dinner after the taping days. We all we all hung out in the rooms together. Um, it was a great atmosphere outside of the taping. So in contrast, what was that night before the semifinals like? Did you spend that time relaxing, studying a bit more, or with others who had also made the semifinals? Um, I was with I was with others. Um, actually, they they had like a losers crew party. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I I dropped by just to make a little appearance, but um, I, I I hung out with them for like uh, twenty to thirty minutes, and then went back and tried to relax before the semifinal day. Is there anything else about your quarterfinal match that's worth mentioning before we move on? Oh, um, my planetary geology teacher was ecstatic when I told him that I got the Halley's Comet question for a true daily devil. He was like, no way. <laughs> so I thought it was funny that, because my major is nothing related to planetary geology. <laughs> yeah. And it, I just somehow got an astronomy and space category and I wanted to work with that a little bit. So I got, I ended up finding the daily double there. So moving on to the semifinals, Justin was pitted against Stephanie and Claire, the latter of which won the 2018 teen tournament. Justin was off to a great start, putting him in the lead by a large margin at the first commercial break. And by the end of the Jeopardy round, Justin was in first with a slightly smaller lead over Stephanie. However, things got a bit rocky for everyone in double. It was smooth sailing for Justin up until he missed the third daily double, where the correct response was, what is the green book? Putting Stephanie in the lead for the first time in this game. It was squeaky bum time, as the British would say, by clue 23, when the difference between first and third was a mere $1,200. But in the end, it was Claire who came out on top, which was quite unexpected after she missed the second daily double and hadn't been in the lead until the tail end of double jeopardy. Everyone's accuracy was actually quite respectable despite the chaos, but the misses on the higher value clues in Double Jeopardy was what hurt everyone equally. Justin, statistically speaking, this was your worst performing game. So my question for you is, did it feel like that in the moment? What were some of the thoughts going through your head when you realized, oh, this game is a lot closer than I thought it'd be? Or did that not occur to you until after you watched the episode? This game was definitely the opposite of my quarterfinal, where I felt really strong coming out and then Towards the the middle of double jeopardy, everything felt like it started falling apart for me. The daily double there, I wanted to go somewhat high because I felt like I could get a lock if I ended up securing it. Um, ultimately, I didn't, and then I missed on the RLC clue, which was really, really a blow to me. I, I ended up getting a little disheartened there, but I tried to climb my way back as best as I could to make me to put myself in a good spot for final jeopardy. It definitely felt like it was my worst game looking back on it actually and watching the episode i felt like i did better than i thought i did in the moment just because i was i was really really sad about missing the daily double and about missing that two thousand dollar glue that was a tough game definitely and my competitors played very well so all credit to them i think the final jeopardy just the wagering strategy worked out for me and i got lucky with the clue after the third daily double, five of the next seven clues were triple stumpers, one of which was in Pivotal Women for 1600, which we'll get into in just a moment. To put it quite bluntly, what happened here, or what do you think happened here when no one was willing to buzz in? I think that I personally was rattled by my misses. I'm not quite sure about the other people, but I think that we didn't want to lose out on the money by guessing when we didn't like exactly know the answers. Or the questions, I suppose. But I, I think the, the second half of Double Jeopardy was rough for everybody because it was an atmosphere of... I'll, I'll, I'll get ahead of us here a little bit. In, this, in the 1600 clue, um, we had to wait while they reviewed the answer for Stephanie and made sure that it wasn't a correct answer. That took maybe 
15 to 20 minutes. Um, so there was a lot of waiting in between here. And I think when we got back into the game um, after that, we weren't as sharp as we were at the beginning of the double jeopardy round. Gotcha. Okay. So I guess that answers what happened in Pitbull Women for 1600. Um, but uh, so, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. In, in Pivotal Women for 1600, um, uh, Stephanie, I think, uh, buzzed in and said Greta Thunberg or some some derivation of the pronunciation of Greta Thunberg. Myron um, ruled it correct in the moment, and then we had to take a break while the judges reviewed and made sure that it was indeed an incorrect answer. When they ruled it incorrect, me and Claire just had to sit there and, and wait it out. It ended up being a triple stumper. But yeah, that, that took a, a 15 to 20 minute chunk out of like the the behind the scenes time that you don't see on the episode and i think the environment of the game was a little different after that so to wrap up this game the final jeopardy category was u.s history and it was a triple stumper the correct response was who is samuel mudd and because justin went into final in second and wagered conservatively as he should he emerged victorious okay so let's finally talk about the two-day total point affair finals between justin jackson and maya i thought the three of you had some really great storylines going into this you justin getting to the finals after you couldn't participate in final jeopardy in the semifinals of your teen tournament jackson how he was able to get to the finals this time around after losing to Avi in his tiebreaker four years ago and Maya getting another shot at a championship title after finishing as the runner-up in the 2018 tournament. Statistically speaking, the first game of the finals was Justin's best game with an accuracy value of 94%, missing only a single $400 clue in double jeopardy, in addition to converting on both of the daily doubles he found. How much thought went into your wager on the third daily double it was still early in the round you had the lead but you wagered conservatively instead of going for a wager that would put you at double jackson's score the category was it happened in asia did you not like the category or was it more of a preservation tactic to have a decent score going into game two ultimately the latter um my wagering strategy for that daily double was i didn't want to put myself in the hole with a miss or, or not in the hole, but like put myself in a bad strategic position in final jeopardy with that miss. Um, I ended up getting it, which meant that a, a higher wager, a higher wager would have been better there. But it wasn't so much the the clue location or the category as much as I want to be conservative because I want to put myself in a good position going into Final Jeopardy. The Final Jeopardy category for this game was geographic names the same, and the correct response was what is Dover. Jackson was the solo correct, which put him in a commanding lead heading into game two. Justin finished with 13,570, while Maya finished with 4,400. Was there any significance behind your 4831 wager, or was it truly a random amount? I think if I had gotten the final Jeopardy right there, it would have been 23-23-2, which uh, would have been a, a shout out to my mom's birthday again. I ended up missing it though, so it was it was completely my final score was completely unrelated to anybody's okay. birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else about the first game of the finals that's worth mentioning before we move on to game two? Love the Bible category. I'll take that Bible category any day. I grew up in a Baptist church. And I feel very comfortable with Bible. I will say one of my favorite moments of the entire tournament is actually from this episode when Maya apologized for not knowing the Navy is the name of Rihanna's fan base. I thought that was very funny. And <laughs> so did the entire studio, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was really funny. <laughs> but that, that really revealed Maya's character and 
she's just so sweet so kind and that shines through on television you can see with that moment all right so game two was a very competitive game which ended in all three contestants putting up five digit choreot scores but it's also the game where justin's buzzing was at its weakest likely due to fatigue is that fair to say justin how are you feeling after game one yeah i felt like Jackson was getting the best of me on the buzzer in double jeopardy. Definitely. I, I don't know the reason for it. I was getting a little frustrated at myself. I might've been trying a few techniques that were meant to circumvent my frustration that actually ended up putting me in a worse position, but whatever the case, I, yeah, didn't feel super comfortable on the buzzer there in double jeopardy. Well, it wasn't just buzzing fatigue that affected Justin's performance. Game two of the finals was when Maya started to find her buzzer rhythm, specifically in, as Justin referenced, double jeopardy, managing to respond to four consecutive clues in the round. Justin had a huge lead early in double jeopardy by answering two $2,000 clues correctly, but the scores equalized soon after Maya got the second daily double right on the 12th clue of the round, putting her in a tie with Justin and only $200 off the lead from Jackson. Jackson ended up missing the third daily double, pushing himself further back in third, so between Maya heating up in double jeopardy and Jackson's crucial miss, Justin slowly closed the gap between him and Jackson after game one. Maya had the lead going into final where the category was landmarks. It was a triple correct, with the correct response being what is the Eiffel Tower, and with the way the math panned out, this two-day total point affair ended up being a lot closer than I thought it'd be. Jackson's maximum cumulative score was 35,200, while Justin's was 35,570. If Jackson had one less clue incorrect, or if his accuracy was slightly better, it's it's possible he would have won the tournament in spite of a lackluster double jeopardy round in game two. Now, was there any significance behind the $10,991 wager, besides being enough to cover Jackson? No. There is there was no significance there. I just wanted to subtract nine dollars. Okay. Which sounds boring, but I, I was doing the math and um I actually ran out of time like double checking myself on the math there. So I just I just ended up writing a number down really quickly that wasn't exactly eleven thousand. Is there anything else about game two of the finals or the tournament as a whole that's worth mentioning before we move on to the aftermath of the HSRT? It is crazy that with one more correct clue or one less correct clue for me, Jackson would have had the $400 that he needed to cover me there. Um, I think, wait, you said his max score was 35,200? Yep. Yeah, 400 more would have would have done me in there. He would have had 30 more dollars than my max. Yeah, 30 more dollars than my maximum. Um, so it's, it's crazy that it came down to being that close. When you were doing the math, did you realize it was like that close? They were like, oh. If, I better check my I, math I thought, here. <laughs> I thought I was in second. So I, oh. I did the calculations at first and I was like, I'm, I'm in the lead? Like, no, that can't be right. And I double checked and double checked again. And I was like, wow, like I did not realize that at all. I thought I was in a losing position going into final. So the HSRT is over. You've won the $100,000 grand prize. So I have to ask, of those who were of age, did you treat your fellow competitors to a round of drinks? Was there any after party or post tournament <laughs> celebration that happened? So there was a little statement going around. I, I, I didn't hear this from me, but um, that the winner would buy everyone a round of drinks. Because... That's what we said in uh, the college <laughs> championship. Somebody said yeah. it to and like, and Jessica and I'm pretty sure ended up buying everyone drinks. But yeah, <laughs> I think crazy. it's tradition at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um. So we, we had a little after party. It, it was fun. We, we all gathered in someone's hotel room and just talked um, the night before. A lot of us had really early flights the next morning. So it was, it was good to let the stress out of the day because I, I felt like 
had been in a fever dream the entire day. So it was a nice way to end the night with a little party. Less than a month later, the tournament begins airing on TV. So, of course, the natural thing to do for anyone who gets on Jeopardy is to host a watch party. Who did you watch your episodes with? How did it go? And did those watch parties progressively get bigger as you won your quarterfinal, your semifinals, and eventually the finals? So the first watch party I had was in a lecture hall that I have a class in. And I just posted on my Instagram. I just invited everybody that wanted to come. And the quarterfinal turnout was really nice. Um, it was really cool, the reaction I got um, when I won the quarterfinal. The semifinal was a little smaller. The first game of my finals was a little smaller. And the first day of my finals was really funny because I was in a losing position at the end. So everyone just kind of walked out instead of oh. the cheers that I was getting for the, <laughs> for the quarter and semifinals. So I was like, ha. Um, but the, the second game of the final was by far the largest crowd. And I was sitting in the middle of the lecture hall when the final scores were revealed and there was just a roar. It was, it was otherworldly. In your winner's circle interview with Sarah Foss, you mentioned how it was unfortunate that your dad wasn't able to attend the taping. And in your interview with the Boston Globe, you said your dad said something to the effect of, there's no way you won because you would have cracked by now. What was his reaction like? And was it the best one you got after you could finally reveal that you won? (laughs) So my dad was on a ski trip in Colorado um, for, the, for my finals. So the moment, the moment that the episode finished airing in Denver, I got a FaceTime from him and it was him and all of his buddies like screaming. And, and he just, he shook his head at me and said, I should have known. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's fantastic. Are you still getting recognized on campus for appearing on the show? How much clout does winning on Jeopardy get you at Brown nowadays? I mean, not too long ago in 2018, Drew Gar won the college championship for Brown as well. It's been crazy. I've had people come up to me when I'm walking to class. I've had people come up to me at parties. This is definitely such a different experience from high school because in high school, I knew everyone that was talking to me about it. Um, Here, it's completely different. Our class at Brown is about 1,800 students wide so or big um i there's no way i know everyone there so i'll have people that come up to me um just talking to me about it and i've never seen them which is a crazy experience do you have any immediate plans for the prize money besides paying for college tuition maybe a trip to paris to praise the eiffel tower in person <laughs> uh my, da- my dad actually told me that hey you should go to paris <laughs> so i think i think you and him have the same idea there but um yeah i've, I've just been reading reading up on investing, um, seeing what to do to treat my money as like a, a future source of income for retirement. So now that you've won the HSRT, you've earned your chance to win even more money by competing in the next Tournament of Champions, which already features some heavy hitters, including Chris Panulo, Ray Lalonde, and most recently, Stephen Webb, just to name a few. Is there anyone you're looking forward to meeting or competing against? Troy Meyer is a really big name in Quiz Bowl circles, and I would be very, very excited to meet him. But just everybody in general, I watched Ray Lalonde's run when I was preparing for Jeopardy at my grandparents' house. My grandma actually commented like, oh, he has such a nice voice for radio. It's going to be cool to actually be on the same stage as those guys that me and my grandma watched at the beginning of this year. I actually have some trivia of my own for you and our listeners regarding your TOC birth. You're the first teen tournament contestant to play in a regular season TOC since 2000. And according to the Inside Jeopardy podcast, you're the first contestant who will have experience playing with all three permanent hosts of Modern Jeopardy, Alex, Mayim, and Soon Ken. So there you go. I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. I realized that. Um, yeah, I was like, 
wait, I, I told John Barrow, the contestant coordinator, I'll be the first to have Alex, Mayim, and Ken. And I'm excited because I will, I guess, be the definitive source on uh, the quality of each host. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Now, because you're still an undergrad and have other things in life to focus on, how much prep work are you expecting to do before Jeopardy hits you up again and says, hey, Justin, it's time? I've been prepping every day since I got the call back in October. Um, when I won, I took a week off to celebrate or so, and then I started getting back into it with um, my J-Archive studying. I bought a few more books. Um, and I'm, I'd say I'm devoting about an hour to an hour and a half on average each day to studying. That's pretty good. So I'm, I'm hoping that during the summer, um, I'm doing a partnership with, uh, with a local organization and I'm also coaching a swim team, but that shouldn't be too much of a time commitment. So I'm hoping I'll have a lot more free time from May to, um, September to really get into my groove and study pretty much all summer are there any other behind the scenes stories that you'd like to share with everyone before we wrap things up here i i said this in my interview in the in the jeopardy.com essay but they they build this as a reunion tournament and it really lived up to its name i think that is absolutely true with the behind the scenes um the way that we talk to each other it was like old friends and i think that i i wish jeopardy would have made some content out of our conversations backstage because i think some of them were really funny i i think i think some of the discussions we had there were very content worthy but i don't know if i'm allowed to disclose some of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough uh fantastic and with that that brings us to the end of our interview thank you so much justin for taking time out of your day to speak with me now before i let you go where can people find you online and if there's anything you'd like to plug or anyone you'd like to shout out go right ahead um just on instagram i have an instagram it's at jb0ls um i think that's pretty much it yeah i'm i love jeopardy i love you guys i love the fans um thank you all so much and thank you jarek Thank you. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, Justin. And now this is when I close out the show by asking you to please rate this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. Post Podium is available on all sorts of listening platforms, including Amazon Music, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Spotify, and Stitcher. So make sure to follow and subscribe for the latest episodes. I've been your host, Jarek Bruel. And remember, if someone asks what you're listening to, always phrase your response in the form of a question. What is Post Podium? See you next time.